Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Quality management system. Who loves it? Yeah, I'm guessing very few of you love your QMS. You should, though. But I suspect there's probably a lot of reasons why you do not. And one of the suspicions that I have is that your quality management system probably is not right-sized. You may be wondering, what do you mean by right-sizing my QMS? Well, have a chance to talk with Mike Drews of Vascular Sciences on this very topic. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. You know, a lot of times on the Global Medical Device Podcast, well, all the time, actually, we're talking about topics that are of interest and, and important to the medical device industry. Sometimes we talk about human factors. Sometimes we talk about product development. Sometimes we talk about various topics on regulatory strategy. Sometimes we even talk about quality and quality systems. And today is going to be one of those chances where we uh, dive into quality management system topics a little bit. And and we've done this a few times, but we're going to do a little bit of a role reversal. So with me today is Mike Drews. Mike is president of Vascular Sciences. Mike, welcome. Thanks, John. Well, as I hinted just a moment ago, we're going to turn the table, so to speak. So thought we could dive a little bit into quality and let you ask me some questions. And, you know, of course, I'm sure there will be some some good back and forth dialogue, but uh, I thought I'd let you take the lead a little bit. How's that sound? Well, I'll try, John. I <laughs> have big shoes to fill. Yeah, uh, you'll be so fine. So I'll do the best I can. So listen, the first question for you, I've heard this phrase, right size quality management system, and what does it mean to have a right-size QMS? And I've heard a few people talking about this, and I have some of my thoughts on it, but, you know, I can't think of a better person to talk to about this than one of the all-time quality gurus in the world, and that is my good friend, John Spear. So, John, when you think of the phrase right-size quality management system, what does that mean to you? Yeah, um, I think that's a really good place to start, and and I, I like to look at this as sort of at the extremes first, and then I think that can give us some some uh, common ground or some common definition. And you know, a quality system is, you know, by I guess definition, so to speak, a set of policies and procedures that that a company has in place in one respect to demonstrate how a company meets the regulatory requirements, but also should be structured in a way that. Um, really defines how the company does business in the design, development, and manufacturing and servicing and so on and so forth of medical devices. And as far as like right-sizing is concerned, I think there's kind of two things that I see often. I, I see that either a company has a quality management system that's too light. And when I mean too light, it's it's just there might be some you know the necessary procedures in place and they they might be able to point to how each of those procedures meets all the different regulatory requirements but the way that the procedures are written and the verbiage within them is oftentimes vague or ambiguous and a lot is left up to the interpretation of the reader so 
that's that's one extreme. The other extreme is where uh, a company has a quality management system that's too heavy. And in that situation, same thing, you know, they've got all the procedures, they're able to show traceability or, or, or adherence to all the different regulatory requirements. But they're very specific, overly burdensome, overly detailed. Uh, so those are sort of the two extremes. And, and you know, the, the right sizing part about this is, as a company, you need to have uh, you need to understand who you are, where you are, uh, what stage you're at, uh, who's involved, what resources are are interacting, and that sort of thing, and make sure that that you have a, a quality system that is tailored to the, the 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 all those characteristics of you as a company. And now I know that's a little bit vague. I I, I suspect we're going to get into some of the details to define that a little bit more as we chat today. Yeah, I would love to, John. So let's take it a step further. So for those in our audience who are working in companies that have an existing QMS, how would you suggest that they determine whether it's too light or too heavy, to use your phrase? And for the others in our audience who are working in uh, early stage or startup companies who don't yet have a QMS and are looking to build one, how do they determine what is sort of the ideal size, if there is such a thing, of a QMS for them? What would your be? What would be your recommendations there? Sure. Uh, so there, um, uh, you know, let me share a story. This goes back of well, probably about twelve years now, and it was actually when I was first starting um, consulting, I decided I was going to help medical device companies with a litany of things, uh, including setting up quality systems. And, and uh, I got engaged with this startup company. They were, you know, they'd been around for a bit, but they were still pre-market. And uh, I was interacting with this, this lady who had quality regulatory and clinical responsibilities. And they were, this company was about the ramp uh, a clinical study, and she needed a little bit of help on the quality side of things. But she'd done a lot of work, and and uh, she asked if I could come in and, and assist. So, you know, first task that I did, and and frankly, this story uh, is is one that that I hope you all can relate to if you have a quality management system. But the first thing that I did was um, looked at all the procedures that that were defined, uh, and basically did kind of a gap analysis, so to speak. So, you know, all the clauses of eight twenty. Uh, we were also concerned about 1345. So went through all the different requirements and in, in 21 CFR Part 820 and 1345 and, and kind of mapped all those different requirements to where uh, those items were addressed within the individual procedures. And, you know, the good news after I went through that activity, I, I found, oh, wow, these, these procedures are in good shape. You know, everything's T's are crossed, I's are dotted. And, you know, could have been very easy just to stop there uh, and say, yep, this, this quality system is good. It's, it's right size. It, it meets the criteria. Uh, however, I took it uh, another step or two further. And what I then next did is actually, I wouldn't call it an audit, but, you know, it's audit-like. I actually spent some time on site at the company and observed the, the people at the company what they were doing, how they were documenting things, how they were going through, you know, their day-to-day job, the different roles that they were performing within the business, and uh, lo and behold, I found that what the people were doing 
uh, wasn't in alignment, didn't, they weren't following the procedures. In fact, some of the people didn't even know that these procedures existed. And, and so there, this was like the kind of a light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh, wow, the procedures that were in place um, were, were done and they were written in a vacuum, so to speak. There was no, there was no integration. There was no training. There was no transfer of knowledge from the person who originally authored the, these uh, SOPs and work instructions and, and whatnot to the people who were actually in place that, that these applied to. And so that was kind of the first aha moment for me on quality system is like, wow, there's, there's one activity of making sure you're authoring the procedures and, and demonstrating the compliance piece. But if that's where you stop and you don't get that information to those that need it, uh, you're really missing, uh, a, a, you're missing the mark really, quite frankly. So I'll, I'll pause for a moment. I know there was a, another part of your question about startups, but I'll, I'll pause for a moment and see if you have any thoughts or questions about that. Well, just a comment, and, and then I'll throw it back to you, John. Um, like you, I also have regrettably run into companies that don't follow their own procedures. Um, and that, as you can imagine, not only generates regulatory and quality problems, but it also generates huge product liability problems, something that you and I have talked a little bit about in the past. But what do you think the reason for that is, John? I'll, give, I'll tell you what I think as an engineer what I would call the root cause, um, and then you can tell me if you agree or if you think I'm smoking my socks. Many people would define um, the quality management system kind of as you did as the, at the first part of our discussion today as a set of policies and procedures. And with all due respect, I don't think about it that way. I think of the QMS kind of like all regulation as a way of thinking. It's an approach to product development and doing business. It's not just simply, you know, the policies and the procedures. And to me, if somebody's not following a procedure, that's indicative of the fact that they need, they either don't understand the importance of the procedure or they don't buy into um, the legitimacy of the procedure. And again, to me, John, maybe not to you or to others, but that's indicative of a, of a significant problem than what manifests on the surface. Do you, do you understand yeah. what I mean? I, I totally try. I'm tracking with you 100%. I, and I definitely agree with you. I think, um, you know, and, and this is sort of a key point for folks listening, regardless of stage or maturity or pre-market or post-market or shape and size, that if you just have a quality system in place to check a box to meet the regulatory requirements, then you missed it. You know, that's not really what this is there for. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of think of a quality system as sort of your way of life within the medical device uh, business. Uh, you know, and it's certainly quality systems apply to other industries as well, but uh, it's kind of your way of life. And, and the right-sizing part of it uh, is, is important to think about because really what, what – and this is what I did in this particular uh, story that I shared with you – I um, the next step after seeing, you know, doing this uh, uh, on site, uh, seeing there was a mismatch in what was being done versus what was in the procedure. The next thing I did, I spent time with the people and I understood what it was that they were doing and, and uh, you know, how they were doing their jobs and what they were uh, documenting and when they were doing it and that sort of thing. And so we, we did an overhaul of the quality management system and we we adjusted it in a way that better aligned with how the work was actually being done. 
Uh, and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're still, were the things they were doing by the, by the intent of the regulation were compliant. They just weren't compliant with their own procedures. And so we made sure that we, uh, adjusted all of the procedures to really align more with how things were happening within the business. Here's a suggestion, John, and as far as I know, nowhere in the regulation is this even hinted at, so um, if I'm wrong, please correct me, but in that situation where a company or an individual employee is not following a particular procedure, rather than penalizing them, rather than chastising them, rather than firing them, instead use this as an opportunity to, 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 to query them, to ask them why. Are you not following this procedure? Is it that you didn't know about this procedure or you don't understand how to implement it? If that's the case, then it might be a training problem. Is it that you don't agree with this procedure? You think it's it's quite frankly a waste of time? Then you need to investigate that and you need to see, you know, is there a better way that we can do this? In other words, instead of penalizing people, maybe we should, as we do in, in medicine and medical school, Use this as a as a case study to learn from. What do you think of that, John? Yeah, I, I think it's it's smart. I think um, I, I think it takes internal auditing uh, kind of to the the more productive and and really to the the more proactive and and, and next level. You know, a lot of companies perform internal audits and they're they're somewhat rigid in their practice. And I don't think this is really how the the quality internal auditor's uh, mindset is. But it, this is the perception sometimes is that that internal auditor is looking for all the the points in time and cases when people don't follow things, and then they're going to write them off and that sort of thing. That's not very productive. In fact, that that continues to to put more bricks in the wall and and continues to alienate the quality function as important it it actually creates a lot of animosity within organizations and and this is um this is one of the big problems i think with with quality and quality professionals is that we we sometimes uh lose sight of the bigger picture we lose sight of of we're running a business and the business is holistic and and consists of numerous functional areas uh, you know, quality being one, but you know, we at the end of the day, we have to make sure that we're uh, getting medical de- devices into the hands of the caregivers and the patients who can benefit from them. Of course, we want to make sure that we're doing so in a compliant way. Of course, we want to make sure that those products are safe and effective and of of the highest quality possible. But sometimes the way companies implement quality system procedures, it becomes an impediment to that and. And uh, people are looking for, you know, end arounds or, or they're trying to cut corners or, you know, they're trying to do things in a different way. There's a lot of different uh, scenarios that happen that, that unfortunately, I think at the end of the day, leaves the, the quality management system as, as a negative thing or a negative point of view with a lot of medical device professionals. Or put a slightly different way, John, when we define, as some people do, a QMS as nothing more than a set of policies and procedures, this sort of perpetuates that, uh, that connotation that many outside of regulatory and quality have, and that regulatory and quality people are nothing more than the police. In yeah. other words, if you're following the rules, you're okay. If you're, fo- if you're not following the rules, you're not. You know, we're going to put you in jail or, or what have you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know... Of course, as we've talked about before, the underlining assumption there is that the rules make sense. And believe me, as a regulatory consultant and as a professional biomedical engineer for you know more than 25 years, I have never made the assumption that a rule makes 
sense just because it's the rules, just because it comes from FDA or somebody else. But back to the original topic of um, yeah. right-sizing the, the, the quality management system, John. Another thing I've heard some folks say is that the quality management system, to use your phrase from earlier, too light or too heavy, is a function of the company's size. In other words, the bigger the company, the more robust quality management system they should have, the higher the expectations uh, of the FDA as it's a, of a larger company as opposed to a smaller company. Would you agree with that kind of uh, thinking, John, or do you think it's different? I can't agree with that in, in its entirety. I, I think there there is... I think I'll say size or maturity of the company does have an influence, but but I think it's a false assumption just to assume that if you are uh, a bigger company, that that automatically means you have a thorough, more thorough, more robust quality management system. There's no one size fits all approach to this. Um, and let me illustrate by a couple of examples. So if like if I'm a a small early stage company and I'm pre-market, uh, the, the quality system that I have in place in that s- scenario uh, is going to be vastly different than if I'm post-market, even if I'm the same size. And here's what I mean by that. If I'm pre-market and small, uh, I'm, I'm not so worried, at least at that moment in time, about post-market uh, processes because I'm not there yet. I should be focused on where I am uh, within the product lifecycle. And if I'm pre-market, I'm focused on design and development activities. I'm focused on risk. You know, I I probably have defined, you know, how our company is going to manage and maintain documents and records. Good chance I'm working with some third-party suppliers, whether they be design firms or contract manufacturers. And I want to define how we manage those relationships. But I'm not going to be focused on post-market. But once I get that product to market, even if I am still a company of four people, yeah, I think my quality system is probably going to be a little bit more robust in that scenario. So let's take another scenario. If if I'm you know that same four person company, I'm post market, and I have my quality management system in place, and I grow and I add more people, you know, now I'm up to let's say twenty or thirty or forty people. Does that automatically mean that my quality management system has to become more detailed, more robust, more more intricate in its in its uh, specificity? Uh, hard to answer. I mean, not necessarily. Well, I think those are great examples, John, and I agree with you. And I would take it even a step further. To me, the robustness, the the size, if you will, of your quality management system has nothing to do with and should have nothing to do with the size of your company. And it's unfortunate when some folks, even the FDA, propagate that mentality. As you may remember, John, years ago, there was actually guidance from FDA. It's no longer in effect because it doesn't make any sense that the amount of documentation that uh, a larger company needs to maintain a set of control, a state of control is is greater than for a small company. To me, as a, as a professional biomedical engineer, I could not agree, uh, sorry, I could not disagree more strongly. To me, it's not the size of the company that matters, it's the technology. In other words, and this is something that I think in the quality world, John, at least in my opinion, does not get enough discussion, and I would live, love to hear your thoughts on this. When I say it's a function of the company's technology, that a company that's manufacturing, say, 
band-aids or some other very simple medical device doesn't need the same robust kind of a quality management system, including kappas and complaints and post-market surveillance and all those other kind of things as a company that's manufacturing, say, totally implantable artificial hearts. And so I think there needs to be, in my opinion, and again, you're the guru in quality, John, I would love to hear if you agree or disagree, that the technology of the company needs to be taken into account, a Band-Aid versus an artificial heart, much more than the size of the company. Do you think that makes sense, John, or am I smoking my socks? <laughs> I don't think you're smoking your socks. Philosophically, I agree with a couple of, uh, I'll say, disclaimers. And and so if I'm this Band-Aid company, yeah, my quality management system, frankly, is it, it doesn't need to be as sophisticated as an implant defibrillator uh, device company. Um, with the, the the caveat or the disclaimer, there's an important element here, regardless of type of company, regardless of, of uh, robustness, if you will, of a quality management system. I also need to make sure that there's adherence in in that people uh, understand it, that it's effective, right? And so this is this is one of the things that that the intent behind internal auditing, this is part of the, the intent of things like management review and, and other uh, activities is to assess the effectiveness of that quality management system. So if I'm that Band-Aid company and, and I have a, a less robust procedure than the implantable defibrillator device company, that's, that's all fine and good. However, if, if I, you know, through my, my, uh, um, effectiveness checks of, of my quality system find that uh, people are are routinely you know misunderstanding or misapplying uh, how to to effectively initiate a Kappa investigation well that might be a sign that for that that process maybe I need to do something about that maybe I need to to revamp or revise or update or maybe make that particular procedure more robust. So I think, you know, there's checks in place, there, there's intended checks in place, or should be anyway, to, to make sure that I'm evaluating that effectiveness of that quality management system periodically throughout my company's life cycle. I think that's excellent advice, John. And once again, I could not agree with you more. Um, just to amplify slightly, I think it's a little ironic, maybe even schizophrenic, you know, all of us are used to thinking about measuring the efficacy of our medical devices, but how often do people think about measuring the efficacy of your systems, like, for example, your quality management system? And by the way, I'm not sure, John, with all due respect, that the best measure of the efficacy of a QMS is an audit. I think yeah. there are some other ways that we could, uh, you know, measure the efficacy of our systems. Perhaps that's the the topic of a, of a different discussion. But after all, what good is having a system in place, even if it meets the quality and regulatory requirements, if it's not effective, if it doesn't work? You know, once again, this is that tick box on the form mentality that you and I have talked about yeah. many times. Yeah. I, yeah. I, so I mean, I mean, I I was just going to chime in. I, I, I tend to agree with you on the internal auditing. Um, with, but I think company, a lot of companies, when they do internal auditing, they're doing it with that that compliance lens almost exclusively. Um, you know, again, I I think there's there are ways uh, to do internal auditing that's more 
productive than than the standard practice. But to your point, that's that's probably a conversation that we can dive into all by itself uh, in a future episode. I would love the opportunity to do that. But for now, just one or two last points to discuss before we wrap this up. First of all, what other thoughts would you offer our audience, whether they work in uh, larger, more established companies or early stage start startups, in terms of determining what their um, optimal QMS is? Is it too light or too heavy? What you know? What what additional words of wisdom would you share along those lines? Yeah. Um... I mean, this. Uh, I know you and I have talked about this. This uh, th- this dangerous word of consistency in the past, <laughs> um, but I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll open the can of worms just a little bit on this. I I, th- I think it is important that when a company has their their quality system established and defined, that there is consistent, repeatable, reproducible practices that they're having in place. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was uh, Edwards Deming or, or another quality guru from from days past, but and I'm paraphrasing here, but but the, the the statement is something along the lines of if if you can't measure it, you can't improve it, and so uh, having something that you can measure and be able to show that you're getting consistent, repeatable, reproducible outcomes, I think, is very important. Um, said a different way, uh, if if I have a, a process that's in place and and let's just imagine that, that this applies to three people in my company and three that I get three very different outcomes uh, and, and three di- very different results, if you will, then um, one should question is is that procedure right sized? So, uh, what do you think about that? Well, I think that's uh, that's good advice. Um, and it's something that I see companies struggle with uh, all the time. Um, the, the last thing that I wanted to bring up before we wrap this up, and, and I'll give you credit for using this phrase a lot, John, and I agree with you, is differentiating between compliance versus true quality, or as I like to say, quality with a capital Q. So for those yeah. in the audience that are not familiar with the difference between compliance versus what you call true quality, John. Maybe you can explain that and, and most importantly talk about why that's important. Sure. Um, compliance, uh, when you think when you're a compliant oriented organ, organization uh, or you have a compliant oriented uh, quality management system, you're, you, you start to, to develop, I'll, I'll say, I'll, strict alignment, strict interpretation of regulations you're you're probably you know heavy form driven. There's lots of check boxes. There's lots of data fields that that may be required. Uh, the other thing that that starts to perpetuate when you are uh, heavily compliance focused is you're doing things uh, many in many cases in response to or in uh, anticipation of what you think an FDA inspector is going to be looking for or maybe what an ISO auditor is going to be looking for. I've seen that all or way too many times where company has audit, auditor has a certain preference for something, uh, good chance that that auditor is going to be back next year. So the company completely changes how they're doing something to try to please the auditor. Uh, so it, it, they're not using their brains uh, about this. They're they're trying to to appease somebody, and and pretty soon what starts to happen is when you're a compliance oriented 
organization with these types of practices, the people become disenfranchised and, and uh, they don't, they're not doing the, the thing. They're not following the process because they appreciate the value that the process brings. They're doing it because they have to. And, uh, and people start to just really, um, well, they start to lose, lose hope and lose faith in what it is that they're doing. And, and uh, it's not a good culture uh, when, when you're in that situation. So that's a lot about the compliance side of things. The, the true quality angle, um, you know, as a medical device professional, we, we have an awesome, amazing, fantastic responsibility, and that is to improve the quality of life. So, you know, if you think about it in that spirit, that what uh, is this thing that I'm doing, is this going to help produce the best possible outcome for this device that's going to be used on a patient? In other words, is this going to lead to the best possible outcome for the patient? And if I have that mindset when I'm going through the different processes and the systems and so on and so forth, then, you know, frankly, the compliance piece will take care of itself. Uh, I, I want to make sure that, that I'm always striving to improve the quality of my product, always striving to improve the quality of my process, because at the end of the day, it's the patient that's going to benefit from that. Well, very well said, John, and I couldn't agree with you more. And I love your response, although I was a teeny tiny bit disappointed because I thought I might have set you up for what I thought was going to be a slam dunk. Um, and to reiterate uh, some of the words that I've used in the past, you know, when I hear people say our goal is uh, is, is quality compliance or regulatory compliance, and I think, I didn't, you know what I'm going to say next, John, um, that's the academic equivalent of being a student. <laughs> that just yeah. means that you're Fading by, yeah. That doesn't mean that you're making a good, yeah. It doesn't mean that you're making a good device. Doesn't mean that you're making a safe and effective device. It simply means that you're passing. And to your point about following the rules, you know, I'll, uh, of of course, rules are important. But I'll also remind you of you know something I've I've said many times. You know, there's an, coming from a medical background. I used to teach medical school back in the day. Um, I used to say to my med students, the surgery went perfectly, but the patient died anyway. Well, the regulatory equivalent or the quality equivalent of that is we followed the regulation perfectly, and yet the patient died anyway. Um, unfortunately, these things happen more frequently than uh, uh, than some people would like to think. Yeah. And I'll leave you with, with one of my favorite quotes from General Douglas MacArthur, who said, rules are mostly made to be broken and are too often for the lazy to hide behind. Now, for those in our audience that don't know us, please don't miss my message. I'm not uh, saying that rules are not important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't follow the rules. I'm certainly not advocating anarchy. But what I am saying, and I think what John is saying also in slightly different words, is if the rules make sense, then follow them. But if they don't make sense and we follow them anyway and they agree that, we, that they don't make sense and yet we follow them anyway, is that a problem with the system or is that a problem with us? It, uh, and every single week of my professional career, I read regulation um, that as a professional biomedical engineer, just to me, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And yet people do it anyway. So to wrap this up, John, uh, what would be, you think, is the most important takeaway or lessons to be learned for our audience when it comes to this topic of uh, having a right size quality management system for their particular organization for particular technologies? 
Uh, yeah, it's a you know it's a thought provoking question. One of the things that I think will be important is um, you know take the pulse of your company. You know, find out you know either through some sort of survey or or just you know going around and interviewing people, get their opinion about how they feel about your quality system. Uh, you know, I, I think you'll if you're if you just ask the question and you shut up and listen and let people have uh, an open forum to share. I think you'll learn a lot. Uh, I think you'll you'll learn you know, where things are good, where things are not so good. I think you'll you'll learn where people don't understand something. I think you'll learn where uh, people are are just going through the motions because they feel like they have to. Uh, I think you'll also um, be surprised at what you might hear as far as things that uh, your staff will offer as opportunities for improvement to make things even better. Uh, because at the end of the day, I mean, you know, our, our companies are you – know, the culture of our companies is 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 contingent on the people that are working there. And we want people to appreciate uh, the value that, that we bring as medical device companies – and we want them to to feel like they're contributing to the value that those products bring to patients. So just ask your people about your quality system and then shut up and listen. You know, that's very interesting advice, John. And I, I love, you know, but I would also have to say to our audience, um, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. If you get a response from somebody like me as a, as a former R&D engineer myself, you know, if somebody were to ask me, you know, what do I think of my company's QMS, you know, as a young, naive R&D engineer, I would be going to say something like, this is a total and utter waste <laughs> of time and money, you know, and yeah. if you're, and, and so Jen, you're laughing, you appreciate my not so subtle use of humor, but here, let me, let me finish my point and then I would love to, to, to have you agree or disagree and then we can wrap this up. If you have a person in your company, whether they're a quality or a regulatory professional, who gets that response that this QMS is a waste of time and your quality or regulatory person says, well, I'm sorry, but don't get mad. Don't get mad at me. It's not me telling you to do this. It's FDA requiring you to do this. I'm sorry, but that just doesn't cut it with me. No. There's got to be reasons. There's got to be logic, hopefully based on biology and engineering to explain what it is and why we're doing it. If we cannot explain based on biology and engineering, what it is and why we're doing it. I don't care if FDA or anybody else requires it. It doesn't make any sense. And then those cases, we have to go to the uh, Yeah. Here's what the regulation or the guidance says. It doesn't make sense. And here are all the reasons why. And here's what we're going to do instead. Yeah. So I think regrettably that a lot of regulatory and quality folks, they use regulation as an excuse to hide behind. And, and, and I'm sorry. I think that's a problem. What do you think, John? I, I yeah I totally agree. I mean, in quality and regulatory people, if if you uh, are so willing to to talk to your staff about their opinions about your quality systems and your procedures and and your business practices, and you get that response from someone that says, "I think it's a, a total and utter waste of time." Peel back the layer a little bit. Don't just take that as I mean that's that's good feedback, but understand why that person feels that way uh understand what it is and most importantly how can we do it better and how can we do it better absolutely and 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 if you're going to do that 
you know, be willing to, to take on a task to actually make some improvements. Don't just talk to people, get their opinion and say, well, I did what John and Mike talked about. No, now you gotta, you gotta put the, an action plan into place to actually improve uh, the, the process so that people get behind it and understand it and adopt it and, and appreciate it, you know? Um, because you're, you're right. You can't just hide behind the regulations. You can't just say, Oh, FDA said so, or it says so in ISO 1345, um, you know, be, be pragmatic, be practical about this. Don't just blindly follow. All right. Well, Mike, this has been fun. I could not agree more. And you hit the nail on the head, John. Um, It's been a lot of fun. And you hit the nail (laughs) on the head a few minutes ago. I just want to emphasize this one last point. And that is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we are talking about people's lives here. In some cases, quality of life, but in other cases, um, if they use our device, they live. And if they don't, they die. And that's something, you know, we can joke about it. We can laugh about it. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, this is high stakes bingo. And this is a heck of a lot more than just following the rules and ticking boxes on the form. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Folks, I want to thank Mike uh, and for playing along with the the, uh, role reversal today. Uh, I'm sure he and I will dive into some other exciting topics here soon. So thank you so much for listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Uh, while I have a moment here, I want to remind you, too, that uh, there's a new podcast that we've been doing at Greenlight Guru. It's called MedTech True Quality Stories. Check it out. Wherever you're listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast, you can find MedTech True Quality Stories. There's a little bit of a, a different angle. We actually are talking to, in some cases, CEOs and VPs of engineering and founders, you know, the people that are in the trenches like like many of you. And they're sharing their stories and their obstacles and their challenges and, and how they use true quality to over, overcome those in, in the quest of bringing new exciting technologies to the market. So check out MedTech True Quality Stories. And of course, and lastly, that, uh, that notion of compliance versus true quality, if you need a little help with that, if you need a little help with right size in your quality management system, that's what we do at Greenlight Guru. We have an EQMS software platform that is designed specifically for you, the medical device professional. It's the only market we focus on. And guess what? Our EQMS was actually designed by medical device professionals, people who have been there, done that, who have you know, lived in your world. And so go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more about the Greenlight Guru EQMS software platform. As always, this is your host, founder, and VP of quality and regulatory at Greenlight Guru John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.